Uh, In our church, there are all sorts of people doing all sorts of work. Uh, There are school teachers, nurses, doctors, home carers, musicians. There are various sorts of managers, lots of accountants, a few theological lecturers and two types of artists, professional artists. Uh, There's a couple of aged care chaplains as well as a Navy chaplain. We also have, in alphabetical order, an actuary, a bursar, a bus driver, a business analyst, a computer programmer, a courier, a librarian, an orthoptist, a pet sitter, a policeman, a postman, a radiographer and a real estate agent and probably more. Uh, Then there are those in our church who work but don't get paid. Students, retirees, volunteers, family carers, parents, uh, those who serve on boards and committees and volunteer groups. Uh, Then there's all sorts of additional work that we all do. We don't get paid but it's work that needs to be done. There's gardening and cleaning and cooking and driving and car maintenance and paying bills and probably lots of other things. Uh, Then there's the ministries that we do, Sunday school, scripture teaching, leading home groups or youth group, playing music, making coffee, welcoming people. When you actually sit down and think about it, much of our life is work. But why do we do it? What's its purpose? And what difference does it make being a Christian to how and why we work? Uh, They're the questions we'll be thinking about over the next six weeks. But the place to start is the beginning, back when God created everything. And what we find in the first few chapters of Genesis, perhaps surprisingly, is that God works too. God creates. In chapter 1, he creates by his word. He does it all in a six-day working week and he gets enjoyment from his work. Each day closes with the chorus and God saw that it was good. And at the end of his working week, he rests. Genesis chapter 2 verse 2 says, By the seventh day God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work. But if we zoom in a little closer, we see that God's work of creating is actually a blueprint for our work. Or to say it another way, it's in our nature to work because we've been created that way right from the beginning, by a God who works. Day six of his working week, God saves the best till last because he creates human beings. And he says in verse 26, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image, In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air and every living creature. And in that little description there are two words that describe how we relate to God. Uh, It says that we're made in his image and we're made in his likeness. And they're similar ideas. Likeness means that God makes us like him in certain ways, which we'll come back to. But image is a particularly interesting word. Uh, It's the same word that's used uh, in other places for idol or statue. Uh, And uh, in Middle Eastern culture of the time, probably, as far as we can work out, when Genesis was written, 
when a king defeated another nation in battle, he would set up an image or a statue of himself in that nation, in the temple or in the palace. And that image would represent the king. That image would show that he was the king of that nation as well as of his own nation. And so God's made the earth and he set up for himself an image uh, as his representative on earth. And that's us. Humanity is God's declaration that he is king on earth as well as in heaven. Uh, but not only that, we're not just a, a, a sign that, he, uh, that God is king, we actually also act as ruler over the earth, under God, we act on his behalf. And that's the idea that comes from being made in God's likeness. And as uh, commentators talk about what it means to be made in God's likeness, they normally zoom in on two sort of aspects, that we're made like God in our function, in the work that we do, as well as in our nature, what we're like. We'll come back to nature in a moment, but in terms of our function, in terms of what we do, uh, we see fairly plainly that God makes us to work. Verse 26, we're to rule over the animals and the plants and the earth. And then verse 28 adds that we're to increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So there's two ideas, to rule and to subdue. Uh, To rule has the idea of governing and controlling the earth, providing the general conditions in which the earth will prosper. Uh, To rule as God's representative or his image means that we rule in the same sort of way that God rules, with his characteristics. Uh, If we rule as God rules, then we'll wisely serve and preserve and benefit the earth. And so to rule the earth means... Uh, farming, collecting food. Uh, We can add things like fencing, protecting, guiding, separating and cleaning. Uh, Ruling over the earth is also about measuring and investigating. So I I reckon the uh, the sciences fit in here as well, ruling over the earth. And then there's that other word, subdue. We're to subdue, to fill the earth and subdue it. That's a word that, that carries the idea of cultivating, uh, of, of beginning with something and then developing those raw materials into something else, into something that's more useful or complex or effective. Uh, so to subdue the earth means planting a seed, nurturing it until it produces a crop, maybe of wheat or until it produces an apple tree. Uh, that's subduing. Uh, but subduing the earth is also milling that wheat into flour, collecting milk, churning butter, adding some eggs, cutting up the apple and then baking an apple pie. That's, that's subduing the earth. Subduing the earth is cutting down timber and building a table. Uh, it's digging up clay, turning a pot and baking it in a kiln. Uh, it's making paper, gathering pigments, mixing them together and painting a picture. It's farming sheep, cutting the wool, washing it, spinning it, and knitting a jumper. Uh, Subduing the earth is journalism, cooking, photography, architecture, electrical engineering and plumbing. That's beginning with something, producing something else. Uh, By the time we get to Genesis chapter 4, we see uh, little cameos of the sorts of ways humanity is cultivating 
uh, subduing the earth. Uh, Verse 17 of Genesis 4, Cain builds a city. Verse 20 of Genesis 4, Adar lives in tents, presumably which he made. He raised livestock. Verse 21, Jubal was the father of those who played the harp and the flute, which I guess that family made, those instruments. Uh, Then there's Tubal Cain who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. All sorts of different ways that people do things to produce a benefit. That's the definition of what work is, doing some task that produces a benefit for someone. And so all these people are living out their God-given creativity as they work to subdue or to cultivate the earth. And so one way we can think about the work that we all do is that one category is there's creation work. Uh, Creation work rules and subdues the earth. So we've seen that we're like God in our function, in the things that we do. Uh, But the second way that we're like God is in our nature. And uh, people talk about all sorts of ways that we're like God in our nature. Uh, But the one I want to think about today is that we're like God because we're relational. Uh, He makes us like him in terms of our ability to have relationships. Uh, It's not really explained, but chapter 1 verse 26 hints at how God is somehow more than just one. Uh, It says in that slightly intriguing way, let us make man in our image. Seems like he's talking to himself. From this side of the cross and uh, as we have the New Testament we understand that, that God is, is Trinity, that he's three persons uh, but one God, his Father, Son and Spirit existing together from all eternity. And when he says let us make man in our likeness, he then makes humanity male and female. Uh, two different identities designed to be one connected in relationship. One can't exist without the other. Humanity is male and female. So from Genesis 1 we have learnt that God works, that he made us to work and he made us to work in partnership. Genesis 2 sort of expands on this idea of us being created for relationship and uh, that's what Phil read for us. Genesis 2 introduces us to a garden God forms a man and then in verse 15 he took the man and put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? He's working, he's cultivating the garden. We've got this slightly different word as well. He's taking care of it. He's keeping watch or protecting the garden. It's a big job. He's on his own. And so in verse 18 we read something extraordinary. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone, I will make a helper suitable for him. Now up until now, every time God gives a reflection on what he's created, it's, it's been good or it's been very good. But here we find out that it's not good. But what is it that's not good? Well, we often assume that the man is lonely. But I want to suggest the context tells us something else. He's been put in the garden to work it and to take care of it. He's been put in the garden to work. And at the moment he's doing that work on his own. And so that God needs to give him a helper. He's not giving him a soulmate or a friend 
He's giving him a helper because he needs help with the work. He's alone, not lonely. And specifically, this person is going to be a helper who's suitable for him. And that word that's translated suitable, is a, it's a compound word made up of two different parts and it literally means some, someone who is like, opposite him. A helper who is like, opposite him. God's not going to make a helper who's the same as him. Uh, he's going to make someone who complements his characteristics. Someone who's strong where he's weak and weak where he's strong. And that way the two of them together can do that work of ruling and subduing and taking care of the garden. Because the problem is, it's not that he's lonely, he may be lonely, but God is giving him a worker, a helper to do the work. We've been designed to work. We've been designed to work with other people. And God's plan is that we actually get enjoyment from that work just as God does. And so sometimes we get hints of that. When work is going well and we're working with people, it can be very satisfying. And yet work is not often like that, or it's often not like that. It can be difficult and frustrating. There can be friction and conflict. And we find out why as we move from Genesis 2 into Genesis chapter 3. God sets the ground rules for the man and the woman but they fall into sin, they choose independence from God, Uh, they eat the fruit God told them not to eat and as a result nothing has been the same since. Marriage, relationships, the earth itself and even work uh, has never been the same since that time. Uh, Down in chapter, uh, chapter 3 verse 16, God issues his verdict about what happens to work. To the woman he said, I'll greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you'll give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you'll eat of it all the days of your life. It'll produce thorns and thistles for you and you'll eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Now notice that this side of the fall, we've still got the same two jobs God gave us in Genesis 1 and 2. Still got the same two jobs of of ruling the earth and multiplying and filling it. It's just now that those two jobs are going to be a lot tougher. Multiplying and filling, it's now going to come through painful childbirth. And the marriage relationship itself will be soured by conflict and a battle for control rather than partnership. And as far as ruling and subduing the earth, well for Adam it's going to be frustrating. It'll be difficult. There'll be drought and weeds and rocks and frost and we can add other frustrations that come with work. Unemployment and computer crashes and competitors and unfair promotions and disagreements and misunderstandings. Because people today do what they want to do rather than what God commands. And so in work we see greed and laziness, materialism and selfishness, we see bribery and extortion, we see pollution 
and workplace accidents. Work is frustrating because of sin. Seems to be a long way from enjoyment and fulfilment and teamwork that's meaningful. And so what all of that means is that work, this side of the fall, is not just about creation work, but there's also a category of work that I want to call fall work. Work that seeks to minimise or protect us or undo what the fall has produced, the effects of the fall. And so fall work is about policemen and lawyers. Fall work is about doctors and nurses. It's about locksmiths. There'd be no need for locksmiths if we hadn't sinned, if there was no sin. You wouldn't need to lock your doors. Uh, Dentists undergo or do fall work. Soldiers, cleaners, industry regulators, marriage counsellors, social workers and pharmacists are all doing fall work. Uh, Jobs that serve people bless them by reducing suffering, making their life in a fallen world less painful or frustrating. Even God himself is involved in fall work. Uh, Verse 21, he's, he's just announced the consequences of the disobedience of Adam and Eve. And then in verse 21 we read, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So despite their rebellion, God sacrifices an animal so that his people can be clothed. God is working to protect them from the effects of the fall. That's fall work. In fact, that little verse is a hint of where the big story of the Bible goes from this point on. And it gives us a hint of a a third type of work that we're involved in, which I'm calling redemption work. So as we keep reading through the Bible, uh, we read about a a story of how God works to restore and bring, uh, bring back his people to himself. That act of generous provision is the first in a a whole series of gifts from God, gifts that climax in the gift of his own son, Jesus. Jesus, another one who died so that we might be covered. Not a sheep who died to cover us with skin, but a perfectly obedient human who freely gave up his own life in our place so that we may be covered not with skins but with his obedience and his righteousness. And so those of us who are Christians live and work wearing that clothing. Uh, We wear our work uniform is the pure white robes of forgiven sin and restored relationship. And so that third type of work that we should be involved in as God, as Jesus is, is redemption work. The big story of the Bible is God working to redeem, to restore his people to himself. So God is doing redemption work. And he calls us to be involved with him as well, to point people to Jesus, uh, to prepare them for judgment day, for the, way, for the day when Jesus returns, brings this world to a close and brings in a new heavens and a new earth. And so redemption work is praying. Uh, it's meeting together as Christians. It's encouraging and teaching and building each other up. It's living for Jesus It's reading the Bible with someone, it's teaching Sunday school or scripture or leading youth group, it's doing missionary work, it's doing evangelism. Some of us get to do redemption work for a living, uh, but all of us who are Christian are involved in redemption work 
to some degree. In fact, I'm pretty sure that all Christians, if we actually sat down and thought about the different sorts of work that we do, would be able to identify creation work that we do and for work and redemption work. Some of that work gets paid but most of our work is not paid. And in the weeks to come we'll be thinking in a bit more detail about how we work in those different ways. But I want to finish today though by thinking about a question of priority. Which type of work is most important? Maybe you've been thinking, well obviously redemption work is the most important. This world's coming to an end. Uh, Should I give up my creation work or my full work and, and become a missionary or a ministry worker of some sort? Why not just do redemption work if that's what's going to last for eternity? Well, the simple answer is that we shouldn't do that. We should continue to do creation and full work as well as redemption work because God himself is involved in creation, fall and redemption work. Every day God sustains and provides for his world and protects us from the effects of the fall. He shows common grace to everybody as he does creation and fall work and he also shows special grace to those he's saving as he does redemption work. But if we think a little further about it, think about the life of Jesus, Jesus also did all those three sorts of work. Uh, And so, as the most complete, fulfilled human who ever lived, we should copy Jesus, who did creation and fall and redemption work. Uh, He did creation work. Jesus was a carpenter. He turned one thing into something else. Uh, And when he began his ministry, he turned water into wine. It's creation work. Uh, He turned five loaves and two fishes, one lunchbox, into thousands of lunchboxes of food. He did fall work as well, didn't he? He undid the effects of sin. He calmed storms, cured the sick, cast out demons, raised the dead. And of course he did redemption work. He preached the gospel, he forgave sin, he died in our place, he was resurrected and defeated death. In fact, in Matthew's Gospel, as Matthew thinks about summarising Jesus' total work, he says this, Matthew 4.23, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And so, as Christians, we're to be doing that same sort of combination of work preaching and teaching the good news of the kingdom but also loving people as we come across them, uh, helping them in all sorts of ways. And notice what Matthew uh, connects all of that sort of work to. He connects it to God's kingdom. Jesus revealed God's kingdom in the different sorts of work that he did, in his healing, in his preaching. He lived out the kingdom of God. The, the, the place in which God rules. And he pointed people to the day when God's kingdom would completely and finally come. In his life, he gave them a taste for what that day, what that time will be like. And I think our work does a similar thing as well. 
As we work in the world, we live out the kingdom of God. We point people to what God's eternal kingdom will be like. If you like, our working lives are our entrees or appetisers that prepare God, uh, prepare people for the main course of his kingdom, of God's kingdom. Yes, we certainly live out God's kingdom as we preach and evangelise and tell people about Jesus, but we also live out God's kingdom as we love the world, as we meet them, as we work. We live out the kingdom as Christian nurses show love and compassion for the old and the sick. We live out the kingdom of God as lawyers and policemen and social workers work for justice and equality. We live out the kingdom of God as Christian artists and musicians and photographers teach us to notice and appreciate beauty. We live out the kingdom as Christian teachers pass on wisdom and knowledge to kids and as Christian businessmen uh, businessmen practice hospitality, uh, practice honesty and hard work in their offices and as they provide value for money in the goods they sell. Uh, We live out the kingdom of God as Christian farmers and manufacturers and chefs bless us with nutritious, delicious food and drink. All of that is work that lives out the kingdom to the world around us. Now there's no one person who lives out the kingdom the way Jesus did and yet teamwork comes in and so together as the church we can live out what God's kingdom is like. You individually may not preach to the nations, to the ends of the earth, but the church is doing that. Individually, you may not feed the hungry or relieve suffering or visit the prisoners or teach scripture or raise children, but the church is doing those things. And as we do it together, there's a satisfaction in that. Together as the church, we are witnessing uh, for what God's kingdom will be like then. We're not building that eternal kingdom now, uh, the way some people seem to think about work. We're not actually building the eternal kingdom, but we're actually preparing people for that eternal kingdom as we reflect it. Uh, One author likened our work to an architectural model that an architect builds of the building that's still to be built. We're working on building the model. God is going to build the real building in the future. And so the world gets a taste of what God's final kingdom will be like as they see our model in our lives and our work today. And so what all of that means for you in your work, be it paid or volunteer, is to stick at it. Whatever it is you do, your work is not wasted. God is using it to build the model of his kingdom. You are playing a part in what the church is doing. Whether you're a student or a stay-at-home parent or retired, whether you're on $200,000 a year or 20000 whether you're a manual labourer or sit behind a desk all day, whether you use words or actions, uh, stick at it because God's working in you. The Apostle Paul rejoiced in the broad diversity of the way the church worked in the world. And I'll leave the last few words to him. 
how should you work? Well, Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Do it for God. What attitude should you have in your work? Colossians 3.16 Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. When was the last time you were thankful for your work? And finally, what's the big picture over all the work that you do? 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to see the part that our work plays in your big picture. Help us to be building your kingdom now. May people see it. May people see in the church all that you are doing through us and in us. And may we do it all for your glory. Amen.